Good morning. I'm kind of undone today, so forgive me if I sniffle a little bit. I'm not sure what it is. I think it's uh, just being back with you after away, and no other name. It undoes me. It absolutely does. We're starting a new series today. This will carry us all the way up through Advent. Uh, we're going to look through the book of Colossians together in a new series entitled, Piecing Life Together. And we need to piece life together, don't we? It's, it's puzzling. It's puzzling time. And we need each other. And there's no easy answers, yet Paul writes a letter to a tiny little house church about a hundred miles in from Ephesus in Turkey, and he may have a few hints and guesses for us. So that's where we're headed uh, this morning. We're going to start piecing life together, and today we're going to look at when life is a puzzle. And (laughs) it's kind of puzzling right now. And we need to be here, and I'm glad that you are. The text reads like this, the first eight verses, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossa, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. The faith and the love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel. And it has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. The reading of God's word. Would you pray with me? And I'm going to pray a prayer that came across my inbox this week from Presbyterian Disaster Assistance. It's a little bit lengthy, and it's entitled, Out of Chaos, Hope. This is our prayer. God of justice, who sees into the hearts of all, your light outshines the feeble flicker of the torches of hatred. Your goodness is greater than evil. Your love compels us to break the silence, to speak the truth, and to confess our sin. In the face of this continuing unraveling of the fabric of our common life, may our ears be closed to the ugly diatribes of racists and the weak excuses of the fearful. May we have ears to hear the stories of our neighbors of color, the respect to wait and listen as each story is told in its own voice. May we find the courage to acknowledge our privilege and our complicity 
in the evils of racism and not to cease our striving for equality until justice rolls down like water. Our shoulders are bowed beneath the weight of our sorrow. Our hands reach out to grasp a justice that seems illusory. Our hearts cry for a peace that seems so far off. Our voices are hoarse, thick with tears as we pray for a way forward for all of your children, a way beyond racism and violence and privilege, for the courage to change ourselves and our land, for faith and action that can bind us together. We pray for our neighbors in Charlottesville, a city set on a hill. Grateful for their solidarity and courage in the face of evil. For neighbors of every race and people of all professions as they gather today to rebuke the powers of evil. We pray for comfort for families that grieve unbearable losses. For individuals who are wounded and broken in body and spirit. And may your spirit rise with healing in its wings and bring strength and wholeness to each and all. We pray for ourselves that this hurt will not fade from our minds before our hearts are broken open with your passion for justice and mercy and love. Show up among us in our cities, in our neighborhoods, and our wary, worried hearts. A stranger without privilege or place, a justice beyond hope, a peace that passes understanding. Emmanuel, be God with us. In the name of your broken and resurrected Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, just when you think it can't get worse, it seems like it does. <laughs> and it's a puzzle. And it doesn't matter if it's Charlottesville or Spain or Sierra Leone or Venezuela. And I'm so into Venezuela because of my, my friend in Christ. My brother from another mother. Alfredo. <laughs> Delgado. And it is. Life's a puzzle, man. And I don't know about you, but is your head spinning? It is. So it's almost hard to know what to say. Forgive me if I ramble, but here we go. Put your seatbelts on. Here we go. Staggering disorientation. The experience of fragmentation. Captured in the mosaic. Behind me. Everything being dismantled, torn apart. Where do you find a sense of coherence? Where do you find a semblance of hope? Where do you find a semblance of something? And Donna, you said it right, Jesus Christ. That's it. So we're in the right place today. And it's not just the world events. It's not just geopolitics. It's, it's, like, it's like, it's everything. I know I mentioned this a few months ago uh, the pace of technology, just everything leads to this grand fragmentation. <laughs> Gordon uh, Moore, in 1965, 
I know it was a few years ago, still within many of our lifetime, however, said that information would double every two years. And he predicted that this would happen for about 10 years. And his prediction came true with one exception. It hasn't stopped doubling every two years. So for 50 years, this unprecedented doubling of information with no end in sight. And let me try to put this a little bit in perspective. In 1971, Intel came up with their first microchip. It was called the 4004. Their latest chip now is a sixth generation core processor that has been exponential in its growth and technology changes so quick. This new core processor, check this out, is 3,500 times better and faster in performance, 90,000 times more energy efficient, and 60,000 times lower in cost. Let me give you a metaphor to help us understand this. Has anyone here ever been in a VW Beetle? <laughs> Has anybody here ever owned a VW Beetle? That was the car I was brought home from in the hospital, or from the hospital, as a baby. Listen to what it would be like. So what Intel did is they, they took this change from the 4004 to their new core processor, and they said, if you were to take that exponential change and attribute it to a VW Beetle, here's the kind of exponential change that would happen to that Volkswagen Beetle. Are you ready? This is kind of fun. That Volkswagen Beetle would be able to travel 300,000 miles per hour. No, we're just getting started. It gets even better. You're going to love this. We're going to all want to go buy a Beetle with an Intel chip in it somehow. It would get 2 million miles per gallon of gasoline. 2 million miles per gallon of gasoline. That car would cost you 4 cents. Who said that? Who said that? Oh my gosh. By the way, there's a brand new car outside. Okay, and here you go. Ready? Last one, as if that's not great enough. You could drive that car for your entire lifetime on the same tank of gasoline. Wow. So that's what it takes to get an amen from you. Really? you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Dizzying change. So how do you piece life together when it's such a grand puzzle? And our neighborhood is not that much different. I think I wrote in the latest article in something that we send out. Sorry, no disrespect intended. In our neighborhood here, within a five-mile radius, check this out. The average age is 36 years old, climbing to 38 by 2021. Just it's a fun little snapshot. 42.8% uh, of our neighborhood in a five-mile radius is Latino. 39%, only 39% are Anglo. Just look around. 
13% are Asian, 2.6% are Pacific Islanders, and 1.7% African American. So 40% are Anglo, and 60% are people of color within a five-mile radius of this church. 20, and here's the, here's the mission field. This is amazing. 20% of those folks claim no religious heritage. It's the fastest-growing religious group in the country. And here's even a bigger kick. You ready? In that five-mile radius, 67% are not engaged in any significant way with a church family. 67%. Well, when life is a puzzle. And Paul experienced this kind of puzzling things. He wrote this letter to a church in Colossae, in jail, probably in Ephesus, in Turkey, to a church about 100 miles inland, trying to make sense. So puzzling times are not unique to us, although it's happening quicker and quicker and quicker. Paul was scratching his head too, I think. So piecing life together in a puzzling world, I'm just going to give us four simple actions today. And I want you to, if you want to, if you want to get extra credit, you can go after all four. <laughs> if you just want to do one, I'd be a happy camper. When we piece life together in a puzzling world, I think there's four things that we've absolutely got to do. And number one, we read. We, we read. We turn off the TV. We un... Things and we, we pick this thing up. We, we read the book. We read this Bible, this Word of God. Because when we read this thing, we're grounded. We're grounded in the no other name. And when we're grounded in that no other name, there's an interesting organic truth this hap that happens. Read from God Himself in the puzzling landscape of our mosaics. And it, and it literally grounds us, it weights us, it establishes us. It holds us together when there's no other way to be held together. Paul says that this is the word of truth, verses 5 and 6. It's the gospel that has come to you, and so we plant the truth of the seeds of this book in our hearts, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, when it's so puzzling. Anybody here ever bought a new house? Anybody here crazy enough to buy a fixer-upper? That's how we made our lives, you know, we just couldn't afford so we'd always buy these houses with potential. And uh, <laughs> I, I almost got nothing thinking back to all the years that we did this. But the, the house that we bought, just the last one we bought in Seattle was the ultimate fixer-upper. In fact, my friend who was a contractor and helped us uh, said, Tobe, you might have bought the money pit. And we moved into this thing, and Don, you know, it was the beautiful view of the Puget Sound overlooking uh, water. So it was, it was our house, Greenbelt, 
Puget Sound, Olympic Mountains, snow-capped, orange sunsets. You, you get the picture? So that was the beauty of the place, because it wasn't the house. The house was terrible. And we just rolled up our sleeves and we began to work, right, Hutch? You know what I'm saying? And it was, it needed love everywhere. Even the outside, I think we, we counted, we took 15 pickup trucks filled with landscaping brush to the dump. 15. That took at least, each trip to the dump took one year off my life, I think. Can you imagine if we bought that house and one of our friends came over and just said, listen, this is a mess, but let me plant some of these magic seeds. They're special seeds. Just plant them and water them and let them grow. Really? I'm never going to see them because there's, there's just too much stuff. No, trust me. Trust me. These seeds are special. All right, I'll do what you say. i got nothing to lose except 15 trips to the dump. Can you imagine planting those and watering them, and after a couple of weeks, all of a sudden, they're sprouting, and a couple more weeks, they've taken over, and a couple more weeks, all the brush has disappeared, and it's a beautiful, beautiful new landscaped perennial garden, layered and tiered nicely, set to bloom in different times of the year. It's just a landscape architect's dream. Now notice I said, imagine if it were so. Because rarely does it happen that way. Except when we read this. When we read this, it's like, it's like planting special seeds into each person's heart. And after a few years of watering and digging in and chewing and eating the book, it, it begins to make order of the mosaic the fragmentation, the extreme disorientation. To read this is to plant that seed of transformation in difficult places. So the challenge, first challenge today, ready? Read this thing. Read the book of Colossians this week. It's only, I don't know, it's not even, it's three pages. Anybody in? Book of Colossians, three pages, you can do it. You could probably do it by the time I finish talking. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. So we, we, read, we read this. That's what we do. Ooh, that's pixelated. Sorry about that. Second action. Ready? We, we, we pray. We, we pray. We pray. Always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Remember, he's in prison. He's grateful. He's in prison? He's grateful? In prison? And he's grateful? Because prayer is the water that germinates the seed being read. And when that seed is germinating and establishing itself and begins to grow against all not odds, disorientation is not quite as despairing. 
I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy named George Mueller. He's uh, somebody you come across if you read a lot of books, which I'm kind of weird that way. I do. George Mueller was born in 1800 in Prussia, and he migrated uh, to Plymouth, England, and he started an orphanage. And I want to tell you about this guy because he's, he's an unsung hero. Um, he would not have been on anybody's uh, nonprofit to raise money. And let me tell you why. He refused to ask anybody for money, but he was going to start an orphanage. Because he didn't believe that there were any street urchins. He didn't believe in that. He didn't believe there were throwaway people. He didn't believe that there was anybody that was beyond hope. So he moved to England, and he, 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 he received this vision to start this orphanage. And he got a group of people, and they got the same vision. They started to pray for it because they were pioneers. They weren't resistors. They were, they were go-get-it. They were Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. And they started an orphanage for four. Four people. But they never asked for money. Here's their fundraising strategy. We're going to just pray when we need something. What? Like, can you imagine if I go into a session meeting? Uh, we're going to just pray. That's what George Mueller did. His whole organization never asked for a dime. Anytime they needed something, they prayed. And miraculously, God provided. At the time that he retired, this orphanage had 2,050 2,050 orphans. He raised, it's hard to do the calculation because it was so long ago, but between 50 and 80 million dollars by never asking for a dime. What did he do? They prayed. So friends, uh, when life is a puzzle, we got to go back to basics. It's basic training. Read. Plant the seed in our heart. Pray. We've never prayed before. And third action. Oh, I forgot to challenge you. Because I said there was going to be four. You want a challenge? Pray every day this week. Anybody in? Pray for yourself. Pray for another person. Pray for your neighborhood. Pray for the country. Pray for the world. doesn't matter who you pray for. Just pray. So read and pray. Second challenge. Pretty simple so far. Third thing we do is we, we surrender. We surrender to the... When you, when you plant... <laughs> when you, right? A seed surrenders to the... And we surrender to the water. We surrender to the sun. We surrender to the tilling. We surrender to the gardener. We surrender, we surrender, we surrender. That's what we do. Says verses 5 and 6, because all over the world this gospel seed is bearing fruit and what? Growing. It says it's growing. Doesn't always seem like it. Doesn't always look like it. But the news cycle doesn't tell us the whole story because there's faith communities in all these places. 
There's folks like you in every one of these locations who have been faithful for decades upon decades upon decades. Those stories aren't being told, but that's the real story of transformation. That's the real story of God at work in the world. And it's so easy to forget the heroes and heroines who are actually faithful, like you, my friends. It's true. Because there's a surrender. And it's, it's Christ that's doing this. Check out Colossians 1, 19 and 20. Isn't that a beautiful image, by the way? Love that. God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him through him. This is what God is doing through us to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We're going to get to that text in a few weeks. But we surrender to the great gardener who does these things. Surrender's not easy. <laughs> right? I mean, waving the right white flag? Is there anything easy about waving the white, the white flag? Nothing. Because we're so sure all the time of ourself. But I'm going to challenge us. I'm, I'm taking these on myself this week to read and to pray and, and, and to surrender. Surrendering to the Lordship and the authority of the God in Christ who is reconciling all things to himself. Praise be to God. God is seldom on time by our standards, but he's never ever too late. Fourth one, and this is going to get difficult. Are the kids gone? Fourth one, ready? We do. We roll up our sleeves and we go to work in our neighborhoods. That's what we do. We work where we're at. This garden can transform all difficult things. Why verse 5? Faith, faith and love spring Faith and love spring forth. Love spring forth. And it transforms everything that's uncontrollably growing. Charlottesville, the rhetoric. It's impossible to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to be that racist. And that's not a political statement. That's just a divine ordering. Because in Genesis 1, for six days, God creates. In the first five days, it's the creation of the cosmos, and God says it's good. And then God creates human beings and adds an adjective to it is good. And do you remember what the adjective is? Yeah, God creates people and calls us very good. a divine ordering. I'm not mad at you, trust me. Don't go there. 
It's a friendly reminders. I've been thinking a lot about this for quite a long time, and I've been thinking about my own education. Spent a lot of money, actually, over the years. College, master's degree, doctoral work, the sheer number of dollars in my library. My education didn't talk much about black theology, if at all. And there are many schools around the country that do. You got to go looking. You got to find books to read and understand the world from a person of color's perspective, and it'll blow your mind. In fact, that in and of itself is a privileged statement to disentangle. Why is it that in the United States of America, we rarely read theology from people of other ethnicities? It's starting to change, but not, until, not since, it wasn't that way 30 years ago, let's put it that way. When did I go to graduate school? 30 years ago. 35, actually. Hey. Be careful. I love you, man. Did you know that between 1882 and 1968, this is going to get difficult, because we're not taught things like this, friends. It's, 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 we're, it's silent. Between 1882 and 1968, do you know how many lynchings there were in the United States of America? 4,743. 4,743 because of the color of somebody's skin. And, and, and it is if that's not enough, these were, these were public service announcements. The whole community would come out to the center of town where the lynching was and they would take photographs and they would create postcards and send them to family members that weren't there. It was illegal, but nobody did anything about it. It was overlooked. I mean, they literally families would come out. We'd go to the, you know, like we go down to the park and there's concerts in the park. Well, no, this is different. That's what, I'm not making this up. That's what it was. And then God plants seeds. The only thing that allowed African Americans during that time frame to find any kind of hope was in two places. This, is, this will blow you away too, sorry, as if it's not enough. Juke joints, juke joints, Friday, Saturday night. Music, the blues. The blues, and you know why? It restored them from a place of oppression and non-humanity to being human again. Just being human. A human being. Things that we all take for granted. Singing the blues. And the second place they received hope, you ready? So the juke joints restored them to humanity and hope came from church. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Hope came from church. Hope came from church because there was a direct correlation between the cross of Christ and a lynching tree. The God of all creation was crucified on a cross, and an African-American can go to church on Sunday because they knew that their Savior understood their plight totally and completely directly. The seeds of the gospel blues, the seeds of the cross of Jesus Christ, the transformational power for all, and it's time for the church to be the church. And then people like Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King and Rabbi Abraham Heschel, and now the church, my friends, us, the church, the church. You know, in 2017, there still isn't one memorial in our country to one of those 4,743 people who were lynched on a tree illegally. How many people died here in 9-11, and how many memorials do we have to that? So guys, friends, I'm not mad at you. Trust me, I'm not. This is love. This is <laughs> when life is a puzzle. We read. We pray. We surrender. But perhaps the sin of the church in the second half of the 20th century is that we, we made it all about those three items. And I'm happy to say this church is an exception because this church has a history of stepping up and speaking. But it's not a time to rest on our laurels. Are you okay? Am I coming too, down too hard? You all right? This is hard for me. So the fourth challenge, you ready? Because i got to get out of here. You want to get out of here. Sometime this week, just go down to the center of wherever your town is and just, just grab a cup of coffee or a sit. Just sit and watch people. Just notice people. Just notice them. Pray for them. Love on them. And if there's ever a time when the image of God is being disparaged, oppressed, dismantled, or torn down, will you please, my friends, have the courage to say something? Say something. I don't think that white people like myself are, are probably able to dismantle white privilege. But, but perhaps we can get the conversation, I can get the conversation started. And to all the people of color in this place, I'm, I'm standing up and I'm saying today, I'm, I'm sorry. Somebody's got to say it. In, in Jesus Christ, I'm sorry. You're a brother and you're a sister in Christ. Piecing life together in a puzzling world is difficult, but it's a good difficult, my friends. There's an African proverb I love. 
I'm trying to finish, trust me, that I really resonate with, and it goes like this. If the mountain was smooth, we couldn't climb it. If the mountain was smooth, you couldn't climb it. Our mountain is not smooth. But in, with, and through Jesus Christ, ha, it can be climbed. Amen? Amen? I love you. Let's pray. All people, tribes, nations, economics, ethnicities. We bear the image of you, God. And under your name, there is no other name. May it be so. May we climb this mountain. May we do it together as your church as we've always done. May your kingdom come and may justice roll down, gather in the low places, and reestablish us as your people. In your strong, holy, loving, perfect, and just name we pray. Amen.